Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Conquest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Talkhouse Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. This week, we're revisiting an episode that was originally released in October of 2020, when perhaps you missed it because you had other things on your mind. It happens. This one features a great chat between two women at different phases in their careers, Carly Rae Jepsen and MXM Tune. You might recognize MXM Tune's name from her podcast, 365 Days, which is part of the Talkhouse Podcast Network. Speaking of, did you know we had a network full of other great shows, including Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions, Sing for Science, Craig Finn's brand new podcast, That's How I Remember It, and what had happened was with Open Mike Eagle. We do. Anyway, just before this episode, Carly Ray and MXM Tune had just collaborated on a track called OK On Your Own, and they dove right into a great conversation about songwriting and much, much more. Check it out, and we'll be back with a brand new episode next week. Hi, Maya. Hi. Yay. Hello. Hello. I do really like your top, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I, you know what? I tried to, I don't know, look slightly cooler today. I figured if there was a day to look slightly cooler, maybe today is the day. Yeah. I mean, it's changed in this time, <laughs> right? I mean, it's like any day that you put on like jeans and put a little effort in, it's like, <laughs> oh, it's a whole new oh world. <laughs> I literally feel like I could rule the world if I wear actual pants. <laughs> But how have you been doing throughout like everything that's been going on? Like, how are you personally? You know, I'm good. It's crazy times, that's for sure. But Mm -hmm. I'm getting into my flow with it. I think after this much time, you start to kind of normalize the crazy. I uh, am starting to write a little bit more over like Zoom sessions and things and kind of get into a flow of working again. But um, being creative over Zoom is a whole different world than being in the room with somebody. How about you? So I haven't even done co-writes before over Zoom. So how has that worked for you in the process of like, reconnecting with people and doing collaboration that way. It begins by awkwardly staring <laughs> at each other through the phone. <laughs> oh my God. And then, oh, and then asking the usual questions of like, how is everything going for you? Where are yeah. you? And then we kind of get into talking about the flavors of music that we're attracted to and mm-hmm. kind of sharing Spotify playlists, especially if it's a stranger, because you kind of yeah. need a jumping off point. And then I found the most success by just sort of giving the disclaimer of, Let's write a bad song today. <laughs> and I <laughs> I love starting a session out that way. It's just like it removes all of the pressure of like trying to make something good. Because if you don't make something, who cares? Whatever. You're just there to possibly explore the idea of making a song. Doesn't need to be a good one. Well, and yeah. also it's almost like a different language how you communicate creatively. Like what yeah. are your strengths? What are your weaknesses as a, as a partner, as a team? So yeah, I kind of start with that idea. And then usually we follow up with another session later on once we get into the flow of, hey, I'm more taking care of the lyrics or you're more taking care of this part. It's nice. I think one of the perks of it is there's extra time in between each decision that you're making. So you really are a little bit more thoughtful about a yes or a no or a a part that can be Mm -hmm. redone versus I think sometimes just jumping to a snap decision. So I think that for that reason, there's some strengths to this whole new world, this whole new process. Totally. I've yet to try it. I hope I can soon, but it's definitely the awkward part of like video calling for every single thing that we have to do now. Absolutely. (laughs) It's such an adjustment. Absolutely. So I want to get to like 
the beginning, the beginning of you picking out the ukulele in your bedroom. And Mm -hmm. am I right in thinking that nobody, like, what age were you? Nobody in your your family was really aware that you started, like, posting some songs online. This was all kind of your own secret world you'd created, correct? Yes, that's exactly it. So, I mean, I started playing ukulele when I was 12 years old, and it was because my music teacher like forced me to start playing that instrument. And I had been training classically on cello and violin before that point because my mom from a young age told me to play music as like a form of discipline and everything. And so that was my training and everything. I was never like a rebellious person, but the, I always say my biggest rebellious act was choosing to quit the cello so I could play the ukulele because it was like the epitome of everything that I didn't get to do when I was playing classical music. Like there's so many rules to classical music and I love it a lot, but being a player, you have to be the right kind of person for that world. And I was just a little bit too all over the place in order to do that. And so I picked up the ukulele from music class when I was in middle school and we were forced to write a song for a, an assignment. I ended up really enjoying it. And so I started playing in kind of the background of my life after that point and writing songs and stuff for the first time. But I didn't really think about the possibility of doing it for a job until way later. And my parents didn't know that I enjoyed writing music until like I was 17 either. So it took me a long time to kind of let people into my world of music creation and everything. So it's been a very odd journey for sure. That's amazing. I mean, so I know the first song that you wrote was sort uh-huh. of a school assignment, but what was the second yes. time that you kind of dug back into the world of, this is something I kind of want to do not for work mm-hmm. or for pressure, but for fun? I think that really the first song I think of when I define the beginning of my music career. I even like, it feels funny saying that because I'm 20 years old. Like it's ridiculous that I have the opportunity to do this in the first place. It's like a job. But I wrote this song in February of 2017 that was called 1-800-DATE-ME. And it was just like a song. It, it's the cringiest title, Carly. It's the worst title I've ever <laughs> no, come it's before. cute. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, it was about being single and lonely. And I posted it on SoundCloud and I had 200 followers. And I don't know. I think that was like the beginning of like describing in displaying my personality and music to the world was just this satirical song about being like all by myself. And it really kind of just made me feel like I should probably keep trying to do this and see if it was a possibility. But it's just been odd. And for me, it took me a long time to get to a point where I felt like music was something that I wanted to do. Did you ever have something that you wanted to possibly pursue before you thought about becoming a musician? The answer is kind of no. I, I, I Interesting. Know, yeah, no, I mean, I never understood those people who, even in elementary school, were, like, trying out, like, one day I want to be a firefighter and the next day they wanted yeah, to be yeah, a teacher because yeah. I was like, what could be better than making music? And <laughs> I, I didn't know about the concept of, of songwriting right away. I mm. was more just into singing and performing, and I was a little ham kind of just putting on, like, yeah. little mini musicals for whoever would watch me at home. But, that um, is so cute. But oh then God. I think around age seven I started to do, like, local talent shows. My dad would uh, accompany me nice. on the acoustic guitar and stuff and the the very first song that I wrote was actually a protest song <laughs> when wow. when I was nine about cutting down the big trees and it was a very bad song but very well go intended. Carly go Carly <laughs> <laughs> and then 
And I think I was around age 17, too, when I first started to um, really feel like I could emote in a different way through music. I mm-hmm. um, had a crush on a boy in high school, and I didn't know how to tell him, so I wrote him this note. <laughs> And or this letter that I was, you know, thinking maybe one day I'd be brave enough to pass to him. But when I read it back to myself, it had this immediate like cadence and rhythm to it and some melodies even. And I went and picked up my father's guitar and tried to figure out all the chords to go along with it. And that was sort of the first real romantic song that I ever wrote. Oh, my God. (laughs) I wish I was as brave of you. I think like I just wrote unrequited love songs where I'd post them online and be like, they're never going to hear it. I, this is fine. Oh, I'll never interact with them ever again. <laughs> Darling, don't get me wrong. I never showed him this song. This song remains oh for me. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, what was your parents' response when they first kind of saw this sort of world you were creating online and yeah. kind of got an insight into this talent that their daughter had that they didn't know about? They were like freaked out. I mean, both (laughs) of my parents are teachers. And so like one of the biggest messages from them growing up for like being teachers and, you know, preaching to parents and stuff within schools was just always be aware of what your kid is doing online. Otherwise, you know, keep eyes on what they're posting on the internet. Of course. And whatever you put out there is out there forever. And of course... I was on the internet posting whatever I wanted to at any point and I didn't tell them about it. And they were like, we know exactly what our kids are doing all the time. And and so for them to find out that I was making music, I think at first they were like terrified that I had shared too much personal information or whatever it was. I was thankfully very pretty cautious about being on the internet. And of course. Yeah, you know, I, I have a brain. I was pretty proud <laughs> of the fact that I was able to hold my own and so everything. So it wasn't but like nudes or anything like it, that? No, thankfully it was nothing <laughs> scandalous or anything. Bad. It was literally good, good. just like they found out their daughter was writing love songs on SoundCloud. And that it was could it. be worse. It could be so much worse. So I think they were relieved with that, with yes. the fact that it was like she's literally just creatively expressing herself and making content. And so they were good with that and everything. <laughs> Okay, well then, and I guess another question I'd have for you is, mm-hmm. you said that the first sort of songs like sparked from a bit of loneliness or that feeling yeah. of, you know, mm-hmm. really having a space in your life that you or a void that you wanted filled. Do you find that today you still kind of emote best when it's a more of a melancholic feeling or a joyful feeling, or is it any kind of emotion to the extreme? I think that it's kind of turning into any kind of emotion in the extreme. Yeah. Definitely in the beginning, I think sadness was a lot easier to express than happiness. Yeah. And I would say like in a, as a general rule of thumb, I'm a pretty positive person. I tend to be an optimist about a lot of things. And my personality seems pretty counter to a lot of the sadder music that I write. But it took me a really long time to kind of figure out how to emote happiness and write about happiness and what that experience feeling and expression and everything was like. And I think I really got to do that for the first time earlier this year when I released my EP Dawn, which is, you know, it's, it's the other sister EP to the project that's coming out later this year that you have featured on so lovingly. Um, and so I think that was like a really interesting test for me, like to try and write happy music for the first time ever, which was really cool and a really exciting opportunity. But I mean, for you, have you found, like, do you gravitate towards a specific writing style? I think my answer would be any emotion in the extreme, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I do listen to really melancholy music. Like that is sort of my go-to yeah. of more somber, mm-hmm. like whether it's jazz or it's just like chill, kind of like the opposite of what I write, which sometimes is like quite pop and over the top and quite, um, <laughs> you know, quite euphoric even sometimes in terms mm-hmm. of feelings that I'm trying to capture. But it's almost, it's odd because I'll go to almost do the opposite of write something really emo, but then I'll flip the switch on it and kind of feel like I want you to feel like you're on top of a mountain with like wind blowing through your hair totally yes yes. so yeah but I would say that you're correct for me too it comes down to just anything that's such an intense feeling that you almost need to document it or process it through the art of writing yeah I feel like music has always been the most natural way for me personally to like express my emotions I've tried so many times to just keep a journal or like a diary or to be somebody who can kind of just write things down just for the sake of writing them down but music has always been the way that I felt like this is the only format that makes sense to like process what I've been thinking about and what I've been like trying to express in words I love that I don't know like have you found there's a specific reason why you gravitate towards music or is it more just like a sense? I I think it really does kind of in a therapeutic way sort Mm -hmm. of help me process emotions. I think even for sadness, I think it brings like Mm -hmm. some sort of poetry and beauty to melancholy. And I think in the opposite way, it sort of really captures the moment when you are feeling that fantastical high of new love or whatever (laughs) it may be. Even in one situation in my life, if I've gone through an experience, sometimes I'll write at it from like five different angles. And then I'll sort of Mm -hmm. almost get to try out different ways I could feel about what just happened to me and sort of process it. So it's a really personal thing, but I also really value the, the magic that songwriting has for being able to connect with other people and um, find other people that have gone through similar feelings. I think when you Mm -hmm. have a a crowd in a room full of like-minded sort of soulmates and kindreds, there's, there's nothing like that feeling. Yeah. Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the TalkHouse podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. 
Do you have like a specific song in your memory that you remember listening to for the first time? And you're like, this is what I want to write like, or this is how I want to make other people feel when they listen to my music. I mean, many, many for sure. <laughs> uh, my, my, my family as well, uh, I have parents that are teachers. Oh my gosh. So I, I have four parents because I have two step parents as well. And all of Got them it. are teachers. So we, we have similarities in that. Um, <laughs> So they were all really into folk music growing up. So that was my main oh. appetite. And I I think the closest I got to like a pop vocalist was Sinead O'Connor. Okay. So the song Nothing Compares to You that was obviously written by Prince, but covered by mm-hmm. her was, was like my anthem. I would sing it in the shower. I would sing it in the backyard. It was just something about it. the, the I don't know, the... The feeling that was captured in that song. And and I think also I really got into the Spice Girls when they came out. <laughs> as you should, as you should. <laughs> I mean, it was like adrenaline after everything that I was used to at home, from like Cat Stevens to the Spice Girls. It was an odd combination, oh. but um, a weird cocktail of music. But there was something about the joy and the even the silliness of that that really kind of sparked a chord in me of what is it about pop music that I'm so attracted to? And I think it is mm. sort of similar to what like I love about old jazz standards it's like it really packs a punch there's uh not a lot of room to to you know waste words or waste moments and I love kind of the challenge of that but okay so my turn for a question for you yeah (laughs) (laughs) you're 20 now correct yeah yeah 20 you're 20 (laughs) and you're just getting started on this amazing journey so I would say in terms of like uh future sort of dreams or goals that you have for yourself can you list a couple they don't have to ever come true but be brave enough to say them out loud how's that that is a good task you know what to be honest with you I'm not great at thinking about like goals and I think that there was this was like a challenging thing for me at the beginning of like approaching a music career was thinking about what are the things I'm striving for because you know coming from the background of having educators as parents nobody in my family had any idea or knowledge about the music industry so how am i even supposed to like verbalize the goals that i want to have for myself when i have no idea of what's possible within the world of music and so i mean for me it's always been difficult to think about the 5 year goals and I could list off the things that are not necessarily music related that I want to have achieved by the time I'm like 25. <laughs> list and some of those. Those, those I'm okay, excited okay. about so, too. <laughs> I really want to adopt a cat and name them Bean. That is one of my personal goals. Very cute. And then I also would love to have a vegetable garden like, and to own a grand piano. That's like, those are the three things. <laughs> That I have in my mind figured out. Those are amazing things. I feel like that's your five-year plan right there. Oh my God. So for me, that's kind of where I'm at with it. And because I'm 20, I'm like, you know what? There's a lot of room for whatever to happen. Like who knows what's going to happen down the line. And like music was not something that I ever thought would be possible for me. And I've been lucky enough to have it become my job, but there's been so many other creative avenues as like a person that I love so much, like visual arts or, you know, thinking about animated series or video games or whatever it is. Like it just is super exciting to think about all the possibilities that can lay in collaboration with music and making art in any form in the future. Yeah. So... 
One of the things that I think is interesting in the world of um, like Mm -hmm. musicians and um, pop artists or artists in general right now is just sort of looking at sort of, I mean, this is something that I think about a lot is like, who are examples of women in music that I think Mm -hmm. have done it well, have kind of like aged well, who have kind of gone through the whole journey of this and have a lot to like sort of say about their life because you see a lot of people kind of escalate and then like kind of crash and burn or sort of disappear in this sad way or they seem sort of like they've turned crazy and I I like and I think it's such like a thing to hold on to when you do have those idols I think for me that would be like Cyndi Lauper uh Annie Lennox I think that there are so many people that I'm like wow they're just like building this whole not just career for themselves but life for themselves where they look like it's rich and full of everything do you have people like that in mind that you you look to I mean Robin would be one of them as well who's still quite a young Mm -hmm. lass but like on this journey of developing in a way. Yeah, totally. I think like it's been fun for me to be able to connect with people and make more, you know, acquaintances and have conversations with people within the music industry because I think it just gives me more insight as to who they are as people and getting to hear their stories from them personally, I think is always such a privilege. And I don't know if I have someone right now that I look to specifically, but I think think what that means for me at least and personally what's exciting is to be able to redefine like what I want that to be for myself within my own kind of music realm. And when I think about being a, yeah, like when I think about being a musician, I just think that that title is becoming increasingly more open-ended with the possibilities of like what that means and what you can become as you be an artist and a creative and everything. So I think that's just really exciting for me is to think about, you know, it's not, it's not something that feels like it's kept behind like a glass door anymore. Like there's definitely people that are just superstars and they're amazing. I look up to them so much, but I think it's really exciting too to think about the different forms of musician that we can take and redefine and explore over the years to come. I 100% agree. Wise, (laughs) wise girl. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Only 20, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, you can hear that and even in your lyrics and in the songs and even the video Mm -hmm. visuals that you put out, you are wise beyond your years. It's like exciting (laughs) to see. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I don't know. It's been an interesting process to kind of go into the industry and and grow up really in like being a young person. And I mean, for you, you even went through the process of like coming into the entertainment industry from a young age. What was that like for you to kind of adjust to it all? You know, there were different phases of it. I actually feel quite blessed and lucky that my real introduction, like beyond Canada, Mm -hmm. where I'm from, like when I came and broke out of of just that that, like little safe bubble, Mm -hmm. it was... um, it was a shell shock, but I was quite older than you. Yeah. I was 26 when Call Me Maybe came out. Wow. I, I remember personally when that song came out and I was like, just like, I was talking with my best friend the other day and we're just like, it's kind of not to go off too much on a tangent to look like a fangirl, but like, we were just kind of like, this is crazy. You're working on music now. And you just did a collaboration with Kelly oh. Mike Jepsen. We were dancing to Call Me Maybe when I came out oh. when we were younger. So <laughs> it was so a sweet, sweet reminiscent moment. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, similarly, I can remember coming to Los Angeles mm-hmm. and just feeling a little bit like Alice in Wonderland, yeah. like maybe someone had mm-hmm. snuck me some mushrooms and like everything was a trip that I was on. <laughs> it was just, oh it was 
super trippy. But I and I would be mm-hmm. at these parties where you're just looking at like Justin Bieber and then like Mike yeah. Tyson in the same room and like trying <laughs> to have like a, a, like a keep it cool like this is normal straight face. Where mm-hmm. inside you're going, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. But um, <laughs> in general, I would say I, I was really lucky for the fact that it kind of happened to me in in a, in a bigger way when I was a little older and yeah. I had mm-hmm. sort of gone through the grunt years of like playing the Piccadilly yeah. pubs and like trying to like <laughs> hand out my demos to people. I was even on Canadian Idol at one point. And Let's like, go. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, um, I mean, it was a, a feat for me to even get on the radio in Canada. I was really stoked about yeah. that. And at that point, I was ready to throw a party and say to everyone, like, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and we were like number nine on iTunes in Canada. And I felt That's like it could, it could never oh get gosh. better. <laughs> wow. But then, it, it, yeah, it took on a whole new life of its own. And it was a real, really fun adventure. But I would say mm-hmm. in hindsight, the place that I'm at now in my career where I get to like without thinking too hard about what I'm supposed to be making versus just authentically do what I'm like really stoked on and dying to share yeah. and, and have yes. my own little platform for that is is the happiest that I've been in this career so far. That's amazing. That's yeah. like, it's just so, I think it's lovely when people just say that it's like, it gets better, like in any form and facet, just like it, it has, there's such an opportunity for people to still grow into who they are and their artistry and everything as things go on. Yeah. And you do, you Mm -hmm. adjust as you go, you find your people and your team really do become your people I've learned. And it's, it's the most valuable thing to have the reins of your own project, but also Mm -hmm. know that people are helping you drive in the direction that you want to go. And it looks like you're, Mm -hmm. you've got that down. No problem. (laughs) (laughs) I am very lucky for the people I work with. And I think like, like, you know, I, I feel not to float my boat, but I think it's been helpful to definitely feel like I have a sense of self throughout all of it. And like, yeah, also, you know, we, we talked about this briefly before, but having the ability to say no or, yeah. you know, when to say yes and like not feeling like you have to agree to every single thing that comes knocking on your door and, you know, making sure you stay true to your values. Like, how do you do that? And I think that has been something I've, I've, constantly think about is just, you know, how do I maintain my sense of self throughout all of this and really feel like I can still visualize and see who I am when I look at the art that I'm making? I mean, it, that breaks my heart open to hear that. I love hearing that and <laughs> because I, I think for a while my nickname was Yes Carly. Like if you would yeah. ask me, can you mm-hmm. fly here? And can you, I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. Because there was this eagerness of feeling so lucky oh, totally. and so yeah. grateful mm-hmm. that you don't want to kind of let anyone down. But sometimes it would be pushing through things mm-hmm. Or, or saying yes to things that didn't make sense to me. And it was, it's just nice to kind of hear that you're already got your head so on your shoulders of like, no, we're gonna, we're gonna <laughs> check in every once in a while to feel oh that God. this is going the way that I want. And that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, it's totally something I'm still working on. <laughs> I mean, me too. It's like, <laughs> I'm sure it'll be a forever battle that we both go through. I think, like, as women in the music industry or any entertainment field, like you go through the phases of trying to figure out how to be confident enough in your own voice and, you know, your experiences to be like, you know what, I don't need to to say yes to every single thing. Like, what was that like for you in the process of just feeling, you know, being a woman, like diving into all of this and, you know, getting to the point of like, 
not sacrificing who you are. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. Totally. I I can remember when I first met with like Mm -hmm. the labeling team in Los Angeles at at 26 and we're sitting with a table full of people and there must have been about 12 of them. And they went around the table being like, hi, I'll be doing your merch. I'm like, hi, I'll be doing your like international (laughs) travel. And like at the Mm -hmm. end, I think I stood up like all doughy eyed and said something like, I've been waiting my whole life to meet all of you. (laughs) And I felt so so excited to have this team when mm-hmm. I had been beforehand like putting up my own posters around town with yeah. that mixture of flour and water, which I could never mix correctly. So it just Paste. looked it just looked like <laughs> someone had vomited all over my posters by the time I tried to get it right. But um, it was just such like a breakthrough to all of a sudden have a team to help. I think because of my gratitude, though, what came with that, unfortunately, was this sort of feeling of like, okay, you guys know better than me how to do this. Yeah. And that's what Mm -hmm. I said to you earlier of just like, it's really important to not let that paranoia Mm -hmm. take over because no one's going to have a better vibe about uh, what feels right to you. And I think that's what your fans want to hear too, is sort Mm -hmm. of like, who is Maya? What's Maya about? Because anybody else can do the other things, but only you can do that, (laughs) right? Totally. Absolutely. Authenticity is like one of the most important things ever. If you if you aren't being honest, I think that comes across to the people that are watching you and listening. Like it's just, it's so evident if somebody is faking who they are for the sake of like trying to please other people. And I think, you know, this is something like as a person, I think too, is just important that you become comfortable in who you are and your personality and everything about you, because it's just so much easier in the long term for you to just live authentically and be who you are. Like, imagine the amount of energy that you have to expend if you're just constantly trying to fit the shell of something else. Like, oh, that'd be exhausting. I mean, Man. and it's not just in the music aspect. It's in everything. Totally. It's in Absolutely. Uh, it's in fashion. I mean, I have some very yeah. unfortunate mm-hmm. outfits that I could show you <laughs> that I have worn. One particularly stands out. It was a pink tutu situation. Oh I think God. we were going for like an Avril Lavigne meets like a ballerina it was a really (laughs) odd choice and I'm glad that that phase of my life is over (laughs) (laughs) reclaim the tutu I'll try and redeem it for you oh I'll try I'll do my best to give it another go (laughs) I mean we can bring the tutu idea back I'm fine now now I can embrace it (laughs) maybe it'll match the pink hair you can see if you can give it another go yeah (laughs) yes exactly I mean at this point in my life I've just learned that you play with whatever is comfortable to you oh yeah yeah Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. In terms of like your journey towards all of this, what was the difference between writing for you versus the desire to put it online, to actually go to that next phase? Mm. Because that's a big jump to like, here's something I'm doing versus I want to give this as an offering to the public, to whoever may want to connect to this. I actually approached the internet because I thought nobody was going to listen to me. That was actually, I think people are surprised when I tell them that sometimes because I think so much of, you know, my generation growing up, the goal was to be an online personality. And I think that was definitely something in the background of my mind that I told my mom occasionally I wanted to be a YouTuber and she would just laugh at me and be like, yeah, sure. Okay. Go do your homework. Like that's not going to happen. And, you know, I approached writing music and putting it onto a space like SoundCloud or YouTube because it felt like shouting into a void and nobody was going to pay attention to me. And I think there was a comfort and the knowing that you could share what you were going through 
but also that maybe nobody would pay attention. And, you know, being a teenager, I think so many of the experiences that we go through and the thoughts that we have, we try to keep them to ourselves, but we also really desperately want people to hear us and listen to us. So I think it was kind of like, for me, this like Hail Mary being like, you know what, if somebody picks it up and listens to it, great. If they don't, that's also fine. I'm happy with either outcome. And so I went to the internet because I was like, you know, no one's going to hear this. I'm just going to put it out there and it can exist on its own form. And, you know, I got really lucky and people did listen and they shouted back from the void and commented on things. But it it. it has to be noted, Maya, that the unique thing about you is you don't have to be embarrassed about what you put out as a teenager. I think most of us, (laughs) myself included, going into the void of the internet at that age and hearing like my protest song, I'm glad that the internet didn't exist in that same way at the time because my God, I mean, there's this show that I love watching called Mortified. I think it's on Netflix. And I love Love mortified. Okay, yes. It's the best. Exactly. And it's this concept of people, adults, mm-hmm. going back into their youth, pulling out their, their teenage or childhood journals and reading them publicly for people with like the perspective now to have humor, <laughs> at, like to, to, to look with humor at what they wrote and, and how kind of emo they were, ridiculous. But I think the mm-hmm. difference is, is what you're making seems very much like an adult already in the making and somebody with like profound thoughts. And that's why your parents should feel safe that you went to that place (laughs) you know (laughs) they were definitely relieved to know that I wasn't doing anything worse but I think it is funny like let me tell you now not all of the embarrassing things were posted online I recently (laughs) went through an old journal and I was reading the things that I wrote down I'm like I'm really glad I didn't tweet this out or have access to some sort of text post to post this when I was 13 Uh, years old it would have been a a disaster yeah I mean you gotta live with those though too they make you stronger I look back exactly. at some of those things and I'm like, yep, that was me at that moment. <laughs> Proudly claim it. You know what? I turned into the person I am today because of it. It's okay. It's yes. totally fine. Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. And this is kind of off of a tangent, but I know that you're a musical theater nerd. Do you have like a favorite musical or project that you just like adore? Is there like a comfort oh, one for you? So, so many. Um, okay. I want to say that this is like a new one for me. I know I'm late to the game of Hamilton. I had seen it in Los Angeles and it didn't like, yeah. I didn't, there was so much hype around it that it didn't vibe yeah. with me. And I'm almost embarrassed to say that because I know it's such a beloved thing. But then. That's a fair opinion. Don't worry, don't worry. But then <laughs> my boyfriend made me watch the actual like live recorded mm-hmm. version of it where you could see the original cast up close and personal. Yeah. And I. I am wrong. It's amazing. <laughs> I am converted. I'm a little bit in love with Lynn Manuel. <laughs> Don't tell oh my, my boyfriend. <laughs> I have a huge crush. And then other than that, I think, I mean, I go to the old school musicals a lot. Like everything from Jesus Christ Superstar to Fiddler on the Roof yeah. to like My Fair Lady. I'm like a sucker for amazing. those. It was obviously really fun to get to play Cinderella on the Broadway role. Um, yeah. All I remember from that time in my life were like the bloopers, which apparently Apparently there are no bloopers in Broadway. There are just mistakes, but I called them bloopers. Um, my favorite memory from that moment was opening night where I was practicing putting Cinderella's little glass slipper on the on the oh staircase. God. And it was yeah. my first time in the 20-pound dress. And I, I went down to place the slipper and accidentally kicked it into the audience. 
<laughs> and then, oh my god! Luckily, no one was in the theater because this was the day before opening night, yes. so it was just like a run in the afternoon. But I remember saying to the the assistant director, like, "Has anyone ever done that before?" Because I was the second girl to play Cinderella, and she's like, "No, and you cannot no. do that. <laughs> we will get lawsuits." And I was like, "All right, okay, I'm not nervous. Oh my god. Everything's it's fine. okay. You did it on the right night. You unconsciously knew that it was the correct day to do it." <laughs> Okay. And you know that laughter oh, that happens when you're so nervous that you can't stop yeah. laughing? I, I went into one of those fits of like, it's okay, everything's going to be fine. But no, <laughs> I, 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 do, I do love myself a good musical. What's your favorite musical? Actually, Hamilton too. And I think it wasn't really a feeling, like I saw Hamilton in 2017 when they came to San Francisco and I got to see it at the Orpheum. And that was like one of the first, I think that was the first musical that I actually ever got to see. So I'm still someone who like is venturing into the world of musical theater and I love musicals and all the ones that I've heard, but I haven't really gotten the chance to see many of them live. But Hamilton is my personal favorite. And I recently rewatched it because it came out on Disney Plus yes. and um, hadn't gotten to see it with the entire original cast. So of course you have to watch it that way. And I watched it with my seven-year-old cousin and my five-year-old cousin. And they would not stop talking the entire time and asking me questions. Who's that? Who's that? What are they talking about? This doesn't make a bunch of sense. And, you know, I just think like they eventually got it. And there's also a Muppets version of Hamilton. Is that honestly? And that's and that's their favorite version. And they will not stop playing all the songs. And they watched that one before they saw the actual Hamilton. And so the songs would start playing and they would start to sing the Muppets version of the song instead of the actual one that's on the, the musical. And I I just, oh my God, that entire experience redefined it. I'm not going to lie. That might be my my movie choice tonight, <laughs> the Muppets version of Hamilton. I didn't know it was something that I needed, but I do. It's like, it's like a fan-made thing. It was hilarious. They are obsessed with it. And <sighs> you know what? I got to give it to the guy that did it because he does all the voices for every single one of them. It's that kind of crazy. Is yeah. yes. That is incredible. It is incredible. I mean, I have, have a dream one day of, um, mm-hmm. I think like, you know, dreaming out loud, it would be so fun to be a part of the music making of a Broadway musical. That's like oh an outla- like a pop musical in a way that it hasn't been done. I've been you talking to. out loud too long about this, but it's something that I think. Tell me all about it. No, that's so fun. I love that. Yeah, and especially during this like you know break that we've all been kind of yeah. forced into. It, it makes you think. Well, maybe this is the time. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Do you know what you would make the musical about? Like, do you have any themes or ideas that you would base it around? I mean, well, it's no secret that I'm rather obsessed with the subject of love. Yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and all its complications. So I'm sure yes. it would be surrounding that idea. But no, I don't have it fleshed out. Luckily, I've made a, a lot of friends while I was living in New York who are in that world. Yeah. And so we sometimes, every time I used to fly in for, to New York when life was normal, mm-hmm. we would have these like, <laughs> like we'd be conspiring over dinner parties together of like, one day we're going to do that thing. And so, yeah, we've been kind of on the phone more and more about um, the concept of seeing if we could bring that sort of dream to fruition at, at some point. That would be amazing. I would, it would kill to see a pop musical. Oh my God. It would be amazing. Like, I just love, like, I, I don't know. I think what's super fun to see is just all these musicians that I look up to personally being able to take their music projects and then put them into like another project or form that they also are so passionate about and love so much and like getting to see it take shape and watch it. I don't know. It's just super exciting. Like I can feel the excitement of it. <laughs> I have a question for you. So yes. going from the intimacy of being in your bedroom mm-hmm. and 
making these songs and like, as you said, putting them out into the void, not knowing if they would be heard or not. Yeah. After that, did you find like your first stage performance? What, what, what did that feel like? Did you have nerves? Was there a feeling of complete utter confidence that you didn't expect? Was it somewhere in the middle? I was so nervous. Oh my God, I was terrified. I remember my first live show was literally 250 people. And like I played in Los Angeles at the Moroccan Lounge, which is like a newer venue or not newer, but like more new in the indie scene of like singer songwriters coming to visit and play live shows. And I was terrified because, you know, being an act where it's just you and your ukulele, that's like very vulnerable <laughs> to just go on a stage and sing with a microphone yes. and all of your mistakes are just visible and audible to the entire audience that's standing in front of you. And so I was terrified of messing up, which of course I did. Like who you're, if it's your first time playing a live show, of course you're going to mess up. You have dreams of it being a flawless performance. There's no way that's happening. If it does for you, good job. So proud of you. It didn't for me at all. And I remember playing and I, I think the first live show I ever did, I literally forgot half of one of my songs and I was playing it and I was sitting there strumming no. and then I just stopped. <laughs> People started looking around and they're like, they started laughing a little bit. They're like, Haha, what happened? And I was like, I just forgot the entire song. And they were like, oh, that's so funny. Ha ha ha. And I was like, do you all know the song? And then everyone was like, uh, uh, we were singing along and all of a sudden we also forgot the lyrics. So I was like, okay, well, you know what? This is fine. I've done the worst thing you can possibly do in a live show. And if I can recover from this, I can recover from anything. So I just marched <laughs> on forward. And that was, that was it. <laughs> I mean, I love that story for multiple reasons. A secret I will tell you is that yes. I have this weird theory, and this is some sort of trick mm-hmm. I played with myself in my own mind. I yeah. love messing up early in a performance. And, and like, this is a weird thing, but it, it kills all the nerves that I have because there's this weird mm-hmm. trick in my mind where I go like, well, there, I've done it. And then all I have left is the energy to like prove myself versus like Dang. the feeling of, so the moment that I've like messed it up, there's something that's like, all right, now we just have fun. It's over now. I did the worst <laughs> thing. Let's go play. I love that. Yeah. I always oh kind God. of look at it as an empowering turnaround of almost like, of, of, of like mm-hmm. humanness and intimacy of like, well, you saw me do that totally. thing or I, you know, I flubbed over that little like move or that dance moment or that mm-hmm. like note I wanted to hit perfectly and now we just embrace it and honestly it's been like maybe the thing that's got me through the mistakes but it actually was mm-hmm. really something that to this day I still rather enjoy of like well I didn't hit that perfectly now let's go that's perfect well it's such a good way to take it because I think like mistakes we can demonize ourselves so much when we make an error over something and if we can just readjust our relationship to making an error or making a mistake it just helps us to overcome it and be like not so uncomfortable with the not knowing or you know facing it head on and I think also Mm -hmm. as a performer through like my journey I don't know how you feel but I changed my thinking on another thing too which was Mm -hmm. everyone here is looking at me and I have to deliver something for them to see if they like me to see all those sort of thoughts it's switched into my role here is the conductor of a room of happiness or conductor of an energy that is going to be about them and I'm just like one aspect of it versus Mm. versus there to be judged or looked at and as soon as I switched my thinking on that it changed it wasn't about me anymore it was about the energy of the room and my confidence grew and everything kind of I was thinking less about like where does one put their hands and like how do you it was the self-consciousness was gone in in that in that switch for me I don't know if you're there with it but I am I found that to be helpful in my whole journey of getting used to being in front of crowds 
that's amazing. I love the shift in paradigm just like thinking about it that way. Cause I think I definitely experienced that feeling of pressure of not wanting to let these people down because, you know, they pay money to come and see you and you want to make sure that they get a consistent experience and have a good time. And you don't want to mess up because that might screw up their whole entire night. But in reality, I think as long as you're keeping the same energy and that could be anything, you can make a mistake and it can still be an amazing performance because that could contribute to them being like, oh, hey, she's human. She makes mistakes like I do. Like it's, I think that's a total lovely way to think about it. A thousand percent. And there's even the eye lock connection. Like if I'm actually nervous, I will lock eyes with somebody and I'll be like, you and I, we're friends. You're a brave soul. (laughs) (laughs) I stare at the like pit of blackness at the end of the venue. sing to it with my full entire heart <laughs> no but it is for, I don't know if this will work for this for me it's like a really it's like a moment where you it's a, a real connection so even if it's someone kind of in the front and you kind of see their joy and it takes you out of your own head because yeah. no one cares if you've made that mistake what they care about is an experiencing a lovely night and and I think um yeah that can kind of really quickly shock you out of like did mm-hmm. I do that right versus let go of that and and now like put on a a safe space for people to have a great time. That's so sweet. Okay, I'm going to make dead eye contact with the person that is... <laughs> It'll be me. It'll step. be me in the front row being like, thumbs up. I love it. Oh You're god. doing great. I would so, oh my god, I would love to see that. <laughs> Has anybody ever looked away when you've tried to make eye contact with them as you're singing? Oh God! Um, so curious. Not, nothing. That's nothing comes to mind. <laughs> but but, but uh, that would be that would be awkward. I mean, yes. I, I hope so that never. Awkward. I'm knocking on wood over here because that would do the opposite. I'll make it like a public service announcement. If Carly ever looks you dead in the eye as she's singing, you have to keep looking at her. You can't look away. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I love it. Please do that. That would be really helpful. I will. will. I'll tweet it out. It'll be great. (laughs) So I guess um, leading up to release of your album, do you have any kind of plans? Are you, are you just kind of like in anticipation getting the artwork done, all of the above? Are you all like set to go? Pretty much like all of the above. Like I'm really happy it's done. So it's completed and it's ready to come out. And so that's amazing. All the music's written, it's produced and it's mastered. And that's all you can ask for really. What a (laughs) feeling. Literally, it's the most relieving feeling ever. And so it's just like everything is kind of getting through the door now and finalizing the the final things for it. But it's been fun. I'm like really involved in a lot of the creative aspects of my project, which is how I like it to be. Like, I think it's just fun to be able to steer the vision really heavily and yeah. get to make something you're proud of. And so it's been really fun and I'm excited for it to come out and people, I think they've gotten a taste with it with the collab we did together on okay on your own. So it's been, it's been such a fun time to work on it. Yeah. Have you announced the date yet? October 1st is when dusk comes out. October 1st (laughs) is when dusk comes out. I can't wait. That's so exciting. Thank you. And do you have anything else that you're excited for in the rest of the remainder of the year? I'm excited to not have anything else for a little while. I'm that is a, such a good plan. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to get back into the bones of, of being a creative again and just sort of yeah. thinking about what, what next sounds. I'm excited. I'm listening to lots of music. I'm having lots of Zoom calls nice. with different producers yeah. I'm interested in and, and kind of getting the, the bare bone, like building blocks of, mm-hmm. of what will be. But I'm not in a rush about it. I really do have a craving to make good. something quite different. And I'm allowing mm-hmm. myself just... Uh, 
I mean, after this week and kind of getting excited about your project, I'm like peacing out for a little bit. <laughs> Good. Yeah. It's well-deserved. Oh, it's well-deserved. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It'll be like lots of me and the dog taking walks. That's going to oh be my, my God, That's like the best thing ever is just spending time with your pet and just letting them bark as much as they want. <laughs> exactly. Sorry about the Zoom callbacks. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, it was lovely, yeah. lovely talking. Well, yeah, it was great to catch up with you, Carly. Like, thank you so much for the conversation. You are so lovely to talk to you and thank you for this beautiful song and letting me be a part of it. And <laughs> I'm so excited for the, the Dawn record to come out. I will be the first to buy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, darling. <laughs> 